0: From
1: Evanston, Illinois, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of your window. all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight featuring commentary by progressive college professor Mark Casello, Republican attorney Josh Cantrell. Conservative Karen Singerman from the American Freedom Alliance, Republican Reputation Partner Expert Nick Calm, Program Director Mark Carbonero from Power Talk 1460 in Salinas, California, and Libertarian Bruno Berend, as well as special guest psychologist Christina Biederman. And she is an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry, psychology, rather, at Adler University in Chicago. Phone lines open at 1-800-723-8289. 8029 we are coming to you from our new home at WCGO, our flagship station here in Evanston, Illinois. And uh, we obviously have been shut out of our studios in Chicago, as well as every other broadcaster in America. So we're doing the program tonight uh, from Evanston, Illinois, and also We should mention that just as we did last week, uh, we will have guests from all over the country uh, joining us, and you'll be able to ask them questions. And let me begin by giving the news of this afternoon. The president announced that he has extended uh, the, the federal guidelines until April 30th. So again, we're going to, our lives are going to be significantly changed until April 30th. That was a decision made in consultation after discussion with the scientists. And again, uh, the news this uh, past week, uh, insofar as the special coronavirus, uh, coronavirus uh, stats in the United States, one week ago, there were 25,489 cases in the United States. As of yesterday, 121,000, 478 cases. One week ago, we had 307 confirmed deaths in the United States, and as of yesterday, 2,026 deaths. And again, uh, there were uh, 18 more in the state of Illinois, and uh, other states were reporting uh, increases. Uh, we begin tonight uh, with our panel, and I want to b- mention very quickly that uh, we have uh, Mark Casella, we have Karen Sigelman, and we have John Ka- Cash, Josh Castro, uh, Cantro with us in our number one. And uh, let me begin by uh, turning to you, uh, uh, Karen. Let me go to you out in California. As uh, how has this? situation in Los Angeles, which has been a little more restrictive than other parts of the country, how is it playing in California and, and are, the, are the folks out there, uh, are they agreeing with Governor Newsom or are they getting a little bit antsy already?
2: I think people are extremely antsy and we were the first to go on lockdown, I believe, and it really came as a shock in a way. Um, and we're very used to our freedoms here in california and we treasure them and this is the land where anything goes At the same time though governor newsom we Sorry to say we expect Draconian measures from him Generally speaking. So when these came down um, Even if one agreed with the idea of safer at home It still struck something in a lot of us that said this is this is there's a rebellious spirit, even Josh, understanding what Josh, has to happen.
1: Josh Cantrell, back here in uh, Chicago, uh, how do you feel that it's playing with, with your friends? And uh, uh, there's been, you know, in, in Chicago, we're dealing with what the president tells us, what Governor Pritzker tells us, and what Lori Lightfoot, the ma- uh, mayor of Chicago, is telling us. Uh, is Are there some uh, missed signals between those three political leaders uh, to those living in, in Chicago, Illinois?
3: There's no doubt that there is. What we have is a governor who seems to be intent on using every opportunity to bash the president instead of work with the president. And that's a real shame. And it's, I think, hurting us here in Illinois. I would say our mayor is following the governor's lead.
1: Mark Casello, you are a progressive, you're a college professor, Uh, you work in Indiana, but also uh, you you live in Chicago. What's your reaction to uh, uh, whether the the political signals that uh, we're getting here are mixed?
4: Well, I'm actually, I would applaud uh, Governor Pritzker for the steps he's taken. I think uh, this week, the Mayor Lightfoot of Chicago shut down Chicago's iconic beaches and uh, the citywide trails, um, you just had people congregating and um, so so I think the coordination there is good. What I'm uh, depressed about or saddened about is uh, a lack of a holistic view coming from the federal government. I just I don't hear the comprehensive plan coming um, fully articulated from the administration. I, I see there's a lot of pieces moving but I worry that it's not a holistic plan at this point.
1: Okay, we've got the president saying it's going to be and ex- he's, he's extending it uh, to to April 30th. Uh, some Democrats, many Democrats, and many in the media were just hysterical this week when the president suggested that he had hoped that maybe he could get things open by Easter. Uh, and then uh, the, the discussion between, is, is the president going to listen to the scientists or is he going to listen to uh, his political advisor? It, it, it seems to me that the president, at least in recent weeks, has been consistent, Karen. He's going to listen to the scientists.
2: I think what he has to do is listen to all of talking about holistic. This is a health issue. It's an economic issue. It's a mental health issue. It's a societal issue. It's a freedom issue. And the only person who can make those calls in how to balance all that is the president. It's not simply an epidemiological issue. It's not simply an economic issue. You mentioned political. It's certainly not only a political issue. And I'm. I'm glad to see he's sort of putting politics aside. It's a matter of balancing all of these things. Mental health from being shut away from everybody isn't a trivial thing. Economic collapse isn't a trivial thing. How do you balance that versus X number of deaths when we keep hearing, I mean, any number of deaths is a horrible thing, I get that, but we keep hearing the uh, models being revised downward. Nobody really knows what's going to happen. We All we can watch is Italy, which, as a completely different demographic from us in different conditions, different situations. So I think he is listening to the scientists, the epidemiologists. He's also listening to the people. He's listening to governors, mayors. And he's the only one who can really synthesize all of this and make that call. And I think he's doing a great job shifting as required.
1: Josh, you're a conservative Republican uh, this two point two trillion dollar federal uh, uh, bill that passed uh, this week—were uh, you satisfied with it? There was a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, liberal pork in there. But again, uh, did it get to the level that it needs to get to to deal with the, the problem? And how and how long is that gonna? How long is that money gonna last? If this thing uh, continues I, it, through it, it, April or May or, or two or three months from now, uh, there's going to be maybe
3: two or three other pieces of legislation that are going to be needed, needed, right? Oh, oh, this is just the start of it. And look, yes, it did have some liberal pork in there, but I, I have been a deficit hawk, but this is the time for the government to be spending money. So I did support it ultimately. And if we think that this is the last uh, that we're going to see of stimulus, I I think that's mistaken. If these measures continue and these lockdowns continue, the government is really the only answer. What I'm hoping for, to get back to Karen's point, is that the president listens not only to the scientists, but also listens to the economists. Because I'm afraid that we're going to end up killing more people by killing the economy. Okay. This when, we back, ever
1: when we come back, when uh, we come back, I want you to elaborate on that. One 8029 Wherever you're listening from coast to coast, also give us a call or weigh that on Facebook. Uh, comments coming in a minute.
5: This message is from the National Council on Aging. Adults over age sixty are at higher risk for the COVID nineteen coronavirus because they may have weaker immune systems or chronic health conditions. The Centers for Disease Control recommends older adults avoid crowds and people who are sick. Wash your hands and disinfect surfaces often. Keep a two-week supply of food and medicine on hand. Learn more at ncoa.org. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't
6: think
7: I had more than a couple weeks to live.
6: That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper.
7: I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible
5: gift.
6: What could you make possible as an organ ion and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
1: Stu, my back in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us. Actually, in Evanston, Illinois, one 800 723 8029 Wherever you're listening uh, from coast to coast this evening, uh, we have many people that are listening to this program that, uh, you know, do not live in New York, California, uh, or Chicago. So I would be very interested uh, to know uh, how the coronavirus uh, in, uh, virus is is affecting you in your life. I mean, are, are you in a state that's been shut down or a city that's not been shut down? Are you worried that it's not, uh, that your governor should have been doing that? I'd be very interested. And, and the other bigger, broader question is, uh, what is life going to be like after this? Because uh, Dr. Fauci has said that uh, it's possible that the next strain of coronavirus could come back this fall, or maybe it's going to come back next year. Now, if it comes if either of those things happen, what lessons have we learned, Mark? And are we are we talking about a life in America that isn't going to have a baseball season this year or next year? That's just one example of 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 of, of something that's near and dear to people. But how much of this situation do you think potentially could dramatically change who we are as a country, and how much freedom we have to do what we want to do.
4: Yeah, and and it's a very solemn occasion, Bruce, because in the next 24 hours, it's very likely we're going to surpass the number of deaths from 9-11 from coronavirus. And so um, lessons we've learned, certainly um, the availability of testing, um, having testing, contact tracing, containment early so if, uh, if say we're able to flatten the curve in the next few months, um, and this comes back in the fall, will we be prepared with that, that testing we're seeing this week where results are available in 15 minutes, where people aren't waiting hours in line uh, to get a test? If we could really... That's con- Abbott
1: Laboratories in, in North Chicago that announced that uh, yesterday. The president referenced that at his coronavirus press conference today. Uh, Governor Pritzker of Illinois mentioned it yesterday as well, and, uh, uh the 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 governor said something yesterday that uh i think he meant to be comforting uh if you were listening in the state of illinois obviously as i was but he said that the president of abbott laboratories promised him that the first tests were all going to come they were all going to come to illinois uh <laughs> Josh, how do, you, how do you react to that? I mean, on, on one hand, like on one hand, it's good to know that, but on the other hand, there may be other places, including uh, in in the state of Louisiana right now, that frankly may need it more than Illinois.
3: Go ahead. Absol- absolutely, Bruce. There, the, the the test should go where they're needed the most. Just since, um Abbott is has a strong connection here to Illinois, doesn't mean. That it should come to illinois first and that's just another example of the governor's misfiring on this issue the constant bashing of trump putting illinois first this is time to put america first and have the resources go where they should and in terms of our mayor she shut down the lakefront she shut down the lakefront prematurely in my opinion getting back to a point karen made the lakefront is a great source of joy for many of us who like the great outdoors. It's a place where you can relieve stress and anxiety. That's just going to increase it. She could have increased police patrols and done something more than that, or or other than just shutting it down. Well, and there so was I, a, there was a there was a picture the other day where there were there were
1: people who were running on the beach. They appeared to be six feet away. Not everyone. I'm, I'm certainly not. You know, she, she talked about pickup basketball games. That was a bad idea. I think she was right. correct in doing that. But at least the, the video that we were seeing on television were people that were out jogging. So they're obviously health-oriented. And uh, m- most of them were practicing, uh, you know, a six-foot, uh, uh, you know, separation. And, and, yet many, there, and, yet, and yet many of the police officers that were there to enforce this new law were standing
3: next to each other drinking coffee. Exactly. I was out there that day running and everybody was keeping appropriate uh, social distance, as was I. I think it was incredibly premature and unfortunate. Karen,
1: back to you. I want to ask you to respond to the question I asked of Mark. Uh, If this comes back again, uh, how much of what we're experiencing right now is a new normal? And, and a new normal might be, I mean, people are already saying, you know, there may not be a, a football season this fall. There may not. And again, if it recurs next spring, I mean, how is next spring going to be different? Hopefully, we will have a, 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 a vaccine for it. But we don't quite know that yet.
2: Right. Well, I think in, in talking about what comes next, I definitely think this is a watershed moment. It's an inflection point. For the entire planet, not just the United States. Clearly, Italy, you know, we all have a lot of reassessing to do. But I also think we're underestimating, um, as you just mentioned, our science is phenomenal. And I do think in short order, that the cocktail that's already being tested and has been demonstrated to be working, that's going to be made more widely available. I think vaccines will come up faster than we imagine. Um, I think a lot of it, there will be good things, and in, in for example, more gratitude for what we have. I I think people are really reassessing what's important in their lives. I do think baseball is one of those things that's very important. So the idea of you know no more baseball seasons, I just I just don't see that. I do think science getting out ahead of this. We've seen major plagues and flus and all kinds of um, pandemics in the past, and we've always met them in with with uh, with science, with clever, with with smart measures. I'm not typically; it is the second wave that can be more problematic. But I do think we need to remind ourselves that we have t- terrific by, technology.
1: By by bringing that up, let let me just let me let me ask you one question. There are people who have heard you just say, they've heard the president say repeatedly, they've heard every governor that's ever uttered a word on this. They've talked about the hardworking and the greatness of, of the scientists and the medical yes. people that they are in touch with, whether it's Gavin Newsom or J.B. Pritzker or Donald Trump. Everyone is raving about the, the, the greatness of American public health. And yet, there may be people listening to this show this evening that would say, "Okay, if American public health is so great, why don't we have tests? Why is it there was a report this afternoon that of twenty-one thousand N eighty-five masks or ninety-five masks uh, in the state of California, they were all expired? I mean, how does that happen if the public health people in California?" Didn't know that.
2: Well, California I mean, is a particularly egregious example in that the masks, we had a huge stockpile of ventilators um, that were amassed under Governor Schwarzenegger. Yeah. And all of that was allowed to lapse under the infinite wisdom of Governor Jerry Brown. So it, you know, when we talk about America, I think we need to look at smaller localities and decisions that are made there. Some hospitals are better equipped than others. Some states are better equipped than others. Yes, the scientists are going to be ahead in the medicine because they're the proactive ones. But when it comes to um, 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 mechanisms of pre- prevention, I think we're not as eager to get on those bandwagons, unfortunately. Is this we should to be had masks well- everywhere. It's nice to look at cures. It's it's less romantic to just stockpile preventative measures.
1: Josh, what, what, what are the changes that you expect in the, in the wake of this, especially if there's the possibility that this thing may come back? And I don't, I don't think that's being an alarmist to say that because, frankly, that's something that uh, Dr. Fauci has suggested might happen.
3: I agree with you that it's not alarmist to say that other scientists have said that as well But what I would expect is that we would be better prepared to deal Mm -hmm. with the cost-benefit analysis of shutting everybody up and turning our economy off for weeks on end and threatening to send our economy into a great depression versus more uh, A more holistic approach to this, you know, the elderly the vulnerable maybe being in quarantine longer, but letting um the rest of the country go about its lives. Look, we would be better off as a society from a standpoint of deaths if we got rid of the automobile. There have been 3.6 million people who have died in America since the automobile was invented. 102 people a day. That's just deaths, that's not injuries. So at some point we've got to do that cost benefit analysis. And I hope we're ready for that in the fall. Do you think enough people are taking
1: it seriously, uh, Mark?
4: Yeah, and uh, back to what Josh had said, Um, I don't think the mayor was premature in closing down those beaches. People are not taking it seriously, Bruce. For example, I I ventured out for the first time in in over a week. Um, The grocery stores are at capacity. The hardware stores are at capacity. People, maybe they're counting on the science, maybe they're not taking it seriously, but you know, to Josh's point, I understand the cost benefit analysis, but had we just locked down, if people would just stay inside for four weeks, six weeks, these numbers could be infinitely smaller. But right now, we're on track, you know, uh, for exponential growth in the coming weeks. And the
3: people have to go to the grocery store.
4: Right. Uh, There should be clear direction from the federal government. Go to the grocery store once per week or once every two weeks. There should be clear directives. Uh,
1: By the the way, let me just interject here uh, that uh, uh, at the top of the hour, we're going to be joined by a clinical psychologist, and we're going to look at the psychological and the mental health that is being affected in this country by this uh, lockdown in many parts of the country. What do you do if you're locked in your apartment all by yourself? Or what happens if you're locked in your apartment with someone you don't get along with? There's a lot of stress out there. We will be dealing with it with this doctor who's coming up at the the top of the
8: hour. We will continue in just a moment. This is Dr. Phil. The new coronavirus called COVID-19 is spreading in China and beyond. While CDC is working to stop the spread of the virus, We can all play a role in stopping this deadly disease. The CDC Foundation is a nonprofit organization supporting emergency response efforts in the United States and around the world. To get updates and learn how to protect friends and loved ones, find out how to help by going to cdcfoundation.org.
6: Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Ironman.
1: Dumont back in Evanston, Illinois. That is where we're doing this show from for probably the foreseeable future. At least we know uh, now through the end of April. If you've not heard uh, the president's announcement today, uh, the uh, coronavirus uh, task force has recommended that the uh, the current federal guidelines be in effect uh, until April thirtieth. And uh, the uh, the Dr. Fauci suggested that we may we may hit a peak sometime uh, during the month of April. So what we've heard uh, by members of the administration, as well as members of the media, that uh, this is likely to get worse before it gets better. It appears to be getting very bad uh, in the state of Louisiana, as we speak. Uh, There was 500 people who uh, uh, were at a tabernacle this afternoon in Baton Rouge. And again, uh, some some serious issues uh, broke out there. And again, uh, no one wants to Pitt put their finger on the Mardi Gras as the culprit yet, but again, uh, uh, certainly a lot of people went to uh, New Orleans to celebrate, and again, uh, they came back with something that they didn't want to come back with. We're going to take a moment now to introduce our guests. They're joining us from around the country, and let's start with Mark Casella. Mark, give us about uh, 15 seconds on who you are and where you're joining us from tonight.
4: Hello, uh, I'm an assist uh, Assistant Professor of English uh, and Media Communications at Calumet College of St. Joseph, joining you tonight from my uh, house in the Pullman neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois.
1: Thanks very much. Let's go to Karen Sigaman. And uh, if uh, you've been a longtime listener to this program and watcher of this program, you'll know that whenever we do the show from California, we frequently have Karen as uh, one of our guests. And so, uh, uh, Karen, tell everybody a little bit about uh, who you are and where you join us from tonight.
2: Great to see you again, Bruce. Just terrific. Um, I'm Karen Sigmund. I live in Los Angeles. I'm in Calabasas, so within the county, but not the city of LA. Um, I'm a former teacher, professor of math, um, various other things as well. I ran an organization called Rage Against the Media, protesting against media as a propaganda tool. And now I'm president of an organization called the American Freedom Alliance. It's a nonprofit organization here in California.
1: And what's their goal?
2: Preserving freedom against various threats, um, a whole host of them, and defending Western civilization, generally speaking. Okay.
1: And also joining us around uh, his home, uh, not too far from here, is uh, Josh Cantrell, who's been a regular on this show for the last several years. He's a Republican attorney, but tell us a little bit more about you, Josh.
3: Bruce, thanks again for having me on the show again. I am a uh, Republican. I'm a uh, cybersecurity attorney. And I advise companies on privacy and cybersecurity issues. Um, I'm an outspoken Jewish Republican. I've got an out, uh, a very active uh, Facebook blog. I write for American Thinker and appear on this show and, and other shows uh, um, fairly often, for which I'm thankful. Okay. Uh,
1: on the subject of the information we're receiving, Karen, I'm going to go to you, Uh what grade would you give uh, the media? And again, it's a a very broad term. There's all kinds of people on all elements of the spectrum when you talk about media in the United States. But how do you think media in general have been responding to this uh, American crisis?
2: I think in large part they're responding, they're responsible for it being such a crisis. Um, As as you say, we can't brush everybody um, with the same strokes, but... There's no doubt in my mind that so many of our mainstream media corporations are far more interested in finding a way to bring down the president than actually disseminating information. Just case in point, um, when the president mentioned um, one of the drugs in the cocktail, I like can hydrochloroquine, or yep, yep.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: right, um, he mentioned this as a possible treatment, which has been known for quite some time and has mm-hmm. been used effectively. Some somebody took actually aquarium cleaner instead and died obviously mm-hmm. and and all the media can say is everything that Trump said look it went and killed this guy mm-hmm. so, and his wife is in the hospital so they're far more interested in blaming things on the president than actually disseminating real information and I think this is really something we need to be very cautious of is um catastrophizing things. Not that this isn't a catastrophe, but there are ways of, again, I mentioned balance before. I think the media okay. needs to approach things with greater balance.
1: Okay. Mark, do you agree with any of what Karen just said?
2: Well,
4: uh, speaking to, to President Trump and the hydrochloroquine, that, that's a drug that's used to treat treat lupus. And so I know several people who have lupus who have no longer access to that drug because the president has brought it up sort of prematurely as far as media coverage goes um you know a lot of these talking head discussions i do i do agree that that um, there's a lot of sensationalizing and blame placing and this is not the time for that the more effective shows i've seen uh were like the cnn town halls uh where they bring in dr fauci or they bring in uh uh dr, dr. Gupta, burks right uh to, uh-huh. to gupta yeah but those those have been helpful to me uh, those town hall style but the, the commercial media, again, is, is making this into a conflict machine and really uh, doing a disservice to the American people who need clear, direct information at this yep. moment.
1: A couple of weeks ago, uh, NBC at the network level, Richard Engel did a major report, uh, which was from a British-based scientist who came out with a very uh, alarming projection as to the, 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 the lethality of, of the disease. And again, he didn't find anybody in the United States to say that, but he found someone uh, in in England to say it. And then just last week, it was a big story. It was a big exclusive one-on-one. But last week, that same professor in England came back with a with a dramatically uh, lowered uh, interpretation of his findings, and that wasn't on the NBC News at all. I mean, it it was. <laughs> Because it had, it had fallen into a narrative that this uh, hydrochloroquine was going to be something that was being thrown out there. And I guess uh, last week in New York, they had the uh, testing of uh, 1,100 people. And I guess there were some more positive aspects of chloroquine uh, in this treatment along with the, uh, you know, the, the z PAC. Uh, but again, there wasn't too much report reporting of that. But listen, folks, we have a caller on the line. We have several callers on the line. Let's go to them. Let's go to Joy listening to us in Spokane, Washington, on KXLY. Go ahead, Joy.
10: Do I get my fifteen seconds to tell my story?
1: Yes, go ahead. Fifteen seconds.
10: <laughs> no, no. Um, I was just talking to my son today, and we're in a very blessed situation, both of us, and so this may not be what you know, common for most. But um, I live in Spokane, Washington, and um, he lives in San Jose, California. But he was thinking that this may have a much longer-term effect on the workplace. Um, Mm -hmm. He works for Apple. He's been there for almost 11 years. And so they're all working from home. But he said that he felt like that in many cases that management could then see that they could trust their employees to work at home. Um, and obviously it's not going to be for every, um, industry, but at least for high tech and he's, we are lifelong Democrats. Got it from my parents, got it from them. Um, but he says, you know, this can take us a step into some green deal kind of measures. Um, the driving has been nothing. Um, the the noise pollution, the light pollution mm-hmm. um, here in Spokane. You know, we're seeing a real decrease in car accidents, and so I was trying to be very hopeful that perhaps companies could see that employees could work at home, and maybe they stagger it so that. Yep. In the future, half of the team comes two days a week. Another comes right four uh, two days a week. Uh, or they work they work they or they the work th-
1: or they work three days a week and they work twelve hours a day. Uh, let, let's stay on the line. Go ahead, uh, Josh. Uh, what what is your uh, uh, reading on what uh, Joy had to say about some of the uh, uh, some of the workplace environment that that might change in the wake of this?
3: I think she's right. I think she made some good points there. Uh, this was already starting to happen. A lot of my clients are, um, insurance companies and, uh, many of them have had already gone to the two or three day, uh, uh, split where you're working in the office two days a week and from home three days a week. And I'm, and I think that in my profession, the legal industry, we could see more of that as well. Um, I wouldn't want to be in commercial real estate coming out of this because mm-hmm. I think folks are going to see right. that a lot can be accomplished on Zoom yeah. rather than an office. Right.
1: I'm also amazed that, uh, uh, many of the casual dining facilities in the United States or fast food, they seem to have shifted to a, to a, the possibility of take home or pickup or Grubhub delivery. That that's been a big move within that industry. Even before coronavirus. And not, the, the coronavirus almost sort of fed into uh, maybe a strategy that a lot of uh, f- you know food delivery places
3: uh, had in mind uh, before it happened. I think that's right. I think food delivery, I, th- we're, we're going to see a lot. Th- this is going to be a disruptive event. And mm-hmm. the historians are going to be able to look back and, and say how this changed the country. But I think to your point, A lot of these trends were already happening, and it's just going to accelerate.
1: Okay, let's Mm -hmm. go back. We're going to take another call. Uh, We have Kenton, who uh, joins us, and he is uh, watching us and listening to us in Arizona tonight. He was actually a guest in studio. This is Kenton McCarthy, is it not? It is. All right, Kenton McCarthy, speak up because we can't uh, hear you clearly, but tell us uh, what observations you have from uh, the great state of Arizona.
11: Well, I'll give you a read on what's going on in Arizona. We're not in full lockdown yet, but but there's there's two principal players. Governor Ducey is very reluctant to go on full lockdown. All right, We've let me, uh,
1: Kenton, let me inter, let me let me interrupt you because we're going to a break. I shouldn't have put you on at this moment, but stay on the line. We're going to have you back. Uh, And we'll follow up that when we come back. 1-800-723-8029. From coast to coast and border to border, weighing in on the coronavirus and how it's affecting you. And we'll get a report from Arizona when we continue live from Evanston, Illinois.
12: Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association.
1: Bruce Dumont back in Evanston, Illinois. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. One 723 829 If you're watching us on Facebook or Facebook Live or YouTube, uh, also to have you, uh, great to have you with us as well as we continue both the uh, the radio and uh, the uh, the video version of this broadcast. Kenton McCarthy, who has been a long time favorite on this program for many many years, he joins us uh, when he's in Chicago, but he's joining us uh, in his home of uh, uh, Arizona at the moment, Phoenix, Arizona. And Kenton, you were about to give your assessment of the uh, the political situation in Arizona.
11: Briefly the political scene is this you've got Senator Cinema who is of the full lockdown school and you've got Governor Ducey who is he's he's hanging tough on the we can manage it without a lockdown. So they they go back and forth on Twitter all day long. Okay? Because what does a, what does down, a, what does restruct- a partial
1: what, what does a partial lockdown? So you have a partial lockdown in the state
11: No, we don't have a full lockdown. We've closed restaurants, bars, gyms. Parks and trails are now starting to be monitored, so they're starting to nudge people away from even being outdoors. Uh, It's just the close proximity that I think unnerves them, but the economic impact in the restaurant and bar community has been staggering, and I don't know how long that can last or how long what it's going to look like on the other side. But the point I was going to make was, you know – My firm helps cities and towns manage their investment portfolios. Mm -hmm. So I don't deal with the Phoenixes. I deal with the Prescotts or Flagstaffs or Tucson. Mm -hmm. And I had a conversation last week with a a small to medium-sized town in upstate Arizona. And it got to the point where we were talking about their cash positions and their strategies going forward. And my client... Uh, came close to breaking down in tears because they look at this landscape, and cities can't print money like the government can. Mm. They have to live with what comes in the door. Right. And if you're a city in Arizona that is deep on sales tax from tourists and shopping, you got to be looking. You got to be looking and saying, How am I going to provide the infrastructure if my cash position is dwindling? Not every city is like Scottsdale that has half a billion in cash. They'll, they'll survive. But you've got small to medium-sized towns across the U.S. that don't have big holdings, don't have big portfolios, and rely on, on an economic activity to provide an infrastructure that keeps people safe and alive. So we've got to look at these the knock-on effects of what a total lockdown looks like mm-hmm. Near term and long term.
1: Well, I think that's one of the things that that the the, the, uh, the president decided against recommending a, a lockdown or a quarantine of, of New York. Uh, certainly, the, the mayor of New York did not want it. Uh, the governor of New York did not want it, and uh, it, it was unique that they were both, you uh, know, though politically different, they they all came down that uh, that economically it was it was not viable. Uh, a question that I would have, I mean, when when, when uh, voters...
0: I, I don't think it is.
1: No, okay. you, no, it doesn't appear to be viable anywhere. Uh, but my, my question to you now would be, with $2.2 2 trillion uh, flowing uh, out of the federal government to a variety of uh, bank accounts yeah, all it over it the it United is. States, what do you think, what is most likely to happen with the money that's flowing through just to the business community? Let's not talk about the, you know, the the individual uh, checks that are coming. How do you think the business community is going to handle the influx of federal dollars in this case? Are you there? Kenton is gone. Let me ask you, uh, uh, Josh, what's your answer to that question?
3: Well, I, th- I think the business community, if you're looking at small businesses, this is a lifeline to keep them alive to hopefully get them to the other side. Yeah. But again, as I said before, if this continues much longer, if these lockdowns continue, the shutdowns of the restaurant, I mean, they make maybe 10% of their money off takeout. Uh, I There's going to have to be another infusion
13: for these businesses.
3: Yeah.
1: Let's go to Larry in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Go ahead, Larry. You're on Beyond the Beltway.
13: Good evening, Bruce. Uh, just as a personal note to you, Bruce, I've always really enjoyed your show for years because you. you remind me very much of Tim Russert of Make the Press. You, Thank you, you. You're just even level-headed and down the middle, and I really enjoy that. Um, Larry, let me just South say, I just very, very
1: quickly, that's one of the nicest things, one of the nicest compliments I have ever received uh in, in doing this program. But but thank you very much. That means a great deal because I, I I share your enthusiasm for the late great uh, Tim Russert.
13: Well it was hard, it was it was believe me heartfelt what thank I you. said
1: to you. Thank you.
13: Uh from South Carolina the the tourist trade in Myrtle Beach of course is dead. Uh hotels cannot accept people. No one is being allowed to come into town. So it's just destroying what was a very vibrant industry here. Now, I'll give you also some insights. I have two children, one of whom is a nurse and one of whom is an actuary for Blue Cross Blue Shield. Mm-hmm. Both have interesting lives as we speak. Our, our nursing daughter, she works with terminal cancer patients in Columbia, South Carolina. And she's just going back to work tomorrow after off for a few days. And she's anticipating they're going to be shuttling uh, some of these terminal um, rooms and converting them into uh, coronavirus victim rooms. So it's, it's going to be a tenuous, difficult situation. Uh, regarding my son being an actuary for Blue Cross Blue Shield, I, I'm, I'm pretty certain most of your audience and your guests will know what actuaries do, but they predict the future based on mm-hmm. tables. Right. And they're particularly tied into the health, health environment. Right. All of their tables have been flipped upside down. They did not anticipate this black swan event, and uh, it's been hellacious. They, they do not know how to predict premiums. They, they don't know how to predict uh, lifespans anymore. It's just been a very difficult thing. I just hope the American public realizes who's to blame for this, and that is the communist Chinese. Whether it came from an open-air market or whether it came from the lab in Wuhan, the fact that they kept this under wraps for very important time frames, weeks and weeks and weeks, and they should have been alerting the entire world that this was coming, they are the cause of this so i very much am doubtful that our relationship with china will ever be the same after this is over with i
1: thank you for that and that's very, very all i had to say i thank you very, very much for that very important message and again uh, thanks for the compliment when we come back we're going to talk about the impact of this on your mind we have a psychologist coming up and we're going to talk about how it's dealing with you every single day
6: what is hope hope to me was just that he would get to come home i had no idea how hard it would be once he got back
0: i wish she'd stop drinking so much she thinks it's helping but it's not i hope she sees that soon
4: i act like i don't care if he comes to my games
12: but i hope he does i used to hope he'd find happiness again now i hope our marriage makes it
14: I hope grandpa will get help he thinks it's too late but it's not with
5: everything that he's going through I hope he sees a counselor I just want my brother back
15: I hoped he'd get help stop hoping things would get better on their own he told me to stop asking I didn't
14: then one day he asked for a ride hope is knowing there are other families just like yours That the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action.
6: Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling, we have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com.
9: My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion.
3: I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting
9: my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour the tour of their lives.
4: I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home.
9: At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned.
10: I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education.
9: DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving
8: that disability
9: is not a limitation.
2: My victory was getting my service dog and new best friend.
9: We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org.
5: Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership.
1: Back from Evanston, Illinois, the studios of WCGO, our new flagship, as we uh, bring you a new and fresh Sunday night show live every Sunday night from coast to coast and border to border, nothing in the can on this broadcast. And, again, uh, it used to be that we'd sit around the table, four people and I. We would just chat about whatever was in the news. Well, we can still do that, but we're doing it all via uh, electronics and via uh Zoom, a new technology, which, again, I think if you bought Zoom stock a few months ago, that was probably a very, very good idea. Uh, If you did not hear the news earlier, the president has extended until April 30th. Um, the deadline or the the, the next deadline to uh, impose all of the uh, federal restrictions uh, dealing with coronavirus. Each individual state and uh, mayor will have other things that they may want to add to it. We'll learn more about that uh, as each day goes by. But again, uh, most of the news, as as well it should be, is based on the, the, the physical problem of the virus. But again, uh, it has only been mentioned casually, uh, the psychological, and Uh, you know, impact that this is having uh, on people from around the United States and actually around the world. Uh, Christina uh, Biederman is a PhD doctor and she is with Adler University in Chicago. She is a uh, uh, professor of clinical uh, psychology. And uh, Christina, we thank you very much for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. For having me. I'd like to begin by asking uh, a basic question because we use the term uh, either stir crazy or or cabin fever. Um, is there a clinical definition for cabin fever?
14: <laughs> no, that may be a more useful descriptive definition than any kind of clinical definition we might have. But I think generally people are using that to describe what their experiences are in this really different environment, right? Where we're all inside, we're trying to those of us who are lucky enough have jobs that we can work from home. We're trying to now do that in walls we weren't in with people we weren't working with before with our families around us and people are getting anxious and trying to adjust to this very new way of life very quickly. And for different people, that's going to look different ways. So when you say cabin fever, that's what I, I take it to mean.
1: In the last segment of the show, we talked about whether or not some, corporations around the country, uh, are going to be observing, uh, these changes in work environment. And maybe when this virus is beaten, whenever that may be, uh, some people are not going to go back to the old, uh, you know, work style in the United States. Do you think that's, uh, that's possible? And again, what are the psychological concerns or cautions that you would have for those that are thinking in those terms?
14: I do think that there is, uh, it's a kind of fantasy to think that we're going to be returning to something. I think we are going to be finding a new normal. And part of that, I think, is going to be different work conditions. I mean, I think it may be a little premature to talk about silver linings, But I do think that people are finding new ways of work. And I presume that some of those ways will be better than they were before, whether that's for the workers, for the corporations, you know, across the board, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So I do think that there will probably be long-lasting changes. You know, what those are, what those mean psychologically We'll have to see what, what the changes are. I think for some people, working from home has afforded great flexibility and time to be with the people and in the places that they love. And for other people, it has been inordinately stressful because they are in the places with the people they love in ways that they aren't usually. Is it?
1: Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I I've been under the uh, the belief for many many years that. One of the great undiagnosed uh, problems that we face in this country and in the medical health community is the Mm -hmm. issue of loneliness.
14: Mm -hmm. Is that true? I do think it's a pervasive social problem. I think as our families get increasingly distant generationally from one another, people are more lonely. So sure.
1: And is there any way to combat that?
14: Well, that may also be one of the silver linings of this is that I feel like people are learning how to use the technology in the world. Like you were making a joke earlier about Zoom, you know, people are learning how to use that to connect in ways that they weren't able to do before. Mm-hmm. So I think that is one way that we might see this combat loneliness. I also think that there has been a way that this. Pandemic has really brought out how interdependent we are. So, for example, I am now thinking, as many of us are, about the people who are working in our grocery stores in a way that I never thought about before. And so, I think whenever that kind of interdependence is highlighted, it does have the potential to make us feel less lonely. We are more connected than we know.
1: And uh, does it also, uh, uh, I guess, raise the uh, the, 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 the personal estimation somewhat someone might have is because in many of these cases, these are professions that, uh, again, as you said, nobody really thought much about. I mean, you know, when I went shopping, you know, last week at, at Jewel I mean, I was, I was watching all the clerks who had their masks on and mm-hmm. they were busy loading up the shelves, most of which were empty and, and these were young people obviously going about their business, but, you know, I had never thought about, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the, the stack boy at the local jewel of, mm-hmm. of being part of this, uh, process of everybody surviving.
14: Absolutely. Not, not even just a part, right? Like a, a sort of a central necessary yes, a piece, key cog, a key cog oh. in the wheel. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I do think that there is a way that if our communities can reorient and we can recognize those people who do often go unrecognized, then we are going to be more connected as Mm -hmm. a result of this.
1: What about, uh, exercise? Doctors have been Mm -hmm. recommending exercise to people, whether they need it or not for hundreds of years. So, uh, Does this provide an opportunity for people to try something that they've never tried before in their life?
14: You know, I don't know that it's completely unlike your question about the changes in work, Mm that I think that some of the ways people have been exercising are no longer available to them. So for example, people can't go to gyms anymore. So they're finding alternative ways of exercising. People are getting outside more because it is the one place that we can go at the moment, right? And I think for people who maybe haven't been exercising, the, the, an upside of the stress is that that is one thing that people can do to manage. So I know of whether it's patients, whether it's family members, friends, people who are carving out time to exercise and sometimes now have more time because they're not doing things like commuting, right? To exercise in ways they hadn't been before. So maybe that will be one of those, those silver linings that we'll get to.
1: Do you, do you think that, uh, again, one thing we discussed in the, in the first hour is because Dr. Fauci has said that uh, this might be cyclical, it might come back in the fall, mm-hmm. or it might come back next year. So I'm thinking all of the dramatic things we did this time, mm-hmm. this time, are we going to have to do those every single year? And I raise the possibility. Does it mean that maybe there's never going to be any more baseball games for people to go to or large recreational mm-hmm. things? I mean, this is, you know, one of the maddening things of this month is is uh, the month of March without March Madness. It's, it's madness of a different sort. But I indeed, want to talk about indeed. that preparing for... And baseball, I want to talk about preparing for the future when we come back. Christina Biederman has been our guest, or is our guest. She's a clinical psychologist, and she professes that at... uh, at,
11: uh...
5: This message is from the National Council on Aging. Adults over age 60 are at higher risk for the COVID-19 coronavirus because they may have weaker immune systems or chronic health conditions. The Centers for Disease Control recommends older adults avoid crowds and people who are sick. Wash your hands and disinfect surfaces often. Keep a two-week supply of food and medicine on hand. Learn more at ncoa.org. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs
6: were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper.
5: I never knew that breathing could feel
7: this good. It's an incredible gift.
6: What could you make possible as an organ eye and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
1: Mr. are back in Evanston, Illinois. Thank you very much for joining us. We're talking to uh, uh, Christina Biederman. Uh, she is a, uh, a doctor of uh, psychology. She's an associate professor of clinical psychology at Adler University, which was the, uh, forgive me for missing that, going out of the, uh, going to the break. It's Adler University. It's uh, based in Chicago. And uh, we had some callers on the line. I don't know whether we still have them or not, uh, Mr. Andrew. We do. Let's go, to, uh, let's go to Brian listening to us in Schaumburg, Illinois. You're on the air, Brian.
9: Hi, good evening. Uh, Hi. Nice to talk with you all. Uh, one of your competing media outlets just aired a program where they interviewed ER doctors and staff, and they talked about their workloads, and this one female doctor said she hadn't slept since the outbreak occurred in New York City. Um, you know, the I, I, last half hour, I've listened to all the free marketeers focus on money losses to businesses and livelihoods, which are very real, but we're not thinking about the hospital system. Uh, if we were just let it rip, you know, besides the 100,000-plus people that would die, you know, the old and the feeble, you would have millions of people wanting or needing a hospital bed. And that's not going to go away for months, six months probably. And, you know, this is the nuclear issue of the presidential campaign, and mm-hmm. it's very important. And I think everything's got to be
1: examined, including past political mistakes. Yeah, but they don't necessarily have to be uh, dealt with right now. I mean, that's something that uh, there's there, there are going there are going to be books written for decades about this, uh, Brian. And I'm 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 not suggesting that any of that be shoveled under the rug. But at the moment, we're talking about saving lives. We're talking about monumental decisions, as you have just stated. Uh, whether it is hospital beds, whether it is uh, you know uh, you know tests. You know, we had this decision uh, announcement yesterday from Abbott Laboratories in North Chicago. That I mean, again, they're coming out with a five-minute test for coronavirus. I mean, that's going to that. That in itself is a significant change from what we were talking about on this program. Uh, you know, two weeks ago. So, I mean, these things these things do happen. But what, what I'm what concerns me is there there is great deal of pressure. On the on the healthcare workers. But again, you know, every reporter can find one healthcare worker who is going to complain about something. Or you might add, you know, if you're a political reporter, you can find one governor that's going to complain about something. But the reality is the federal government is in a position to do a lot, and they are doing a lot. Now they're not doing it as fast as everyone like. They're not doing it as fast as, as they would like. So again,
9: I. Can I make I, another statement?
1: Sure, absolutely.
9: I think Donald Trump is playing this the way he is because he knows this is going to be horrible and he wants to have the governors as a foil. He needs to have somebody to point to to say, well, look at that woman in Michigan. She failed. Look at that liberal in California. Well, he failed that's what he's going to do no I don't never it I, on I, the I, I,
1: I, I, he's I disagree did. with that and here's why I disagree with it because I think that th- that's a game two sides can play the governors can all be blaming the feds everybody likes to you know point their finger at the feds this wasn't done that wasn't done but I think it's important if if indeed as we heard in the first hour if if uh if 21,000 masks, Ah, uh, were in the stockpile in the state of California, and they were all expired. I wouldn't expect Donald Trump to know that. I would expect Gavin Newsom to know that. And we had someone explain how that happened. So what what the, what, the, what the President is saying is that we have fifty governors. They should all know their respective neighborhoods and their and their states well. And they should make sure that they use the clout of their governorship in those states. To get their healthcare uh, uh facilities back up to speed. Because you know what? The healthcare facility in New York City and New York State wasn't ready either. I mean, we had a health commissioner of New York City three weeks ago, and she was saying that there wasn't that wasn't a problem and not everybody needed to be tested. This is this is the current health commissioner, not someone, not, not from you know Mayor Giuliani's day. I mean, so you you have people who they think they're ready. And and this, this situation has said to everyone, you know what? You think you're ready, but you're not. The federal government, you're not ready. The state of Illinois, these other states, you're not ready. And so should there be finger pointing or should there be more action, you know, when when when, when governors can pick up the phone and try to get things done, just like the president tries to get things done? I'm sure you would not have had the, the press conference today with the leaders of these uh, transportation companies and these pharmaceutical companies. You wouldn't have had that press conference if they had not already stepped up and said they're going to try to give the president what he wants, which is ventilators and masks and everything else.
14: You know, let me jump in here from Go a, ahead, a kind of just, yeah, just a sort of thinking about this from a citizen's perspective and a kind of. What is the cost of all of this on us as individuals perspective because Mm -hmm. I do think that as We are listening to all of this finger-pointing That it is a convenient place for us to put the ways in which we feel helpless and angry people who have had access to medical care Interrupted while they and their loved ones are potentially sick It is a recipe for people to feel helpless and angry Mm-hmm. And I think that there is potential in that to turn to our communities and to try to figure out what we can do In other words, there are greater political right Stations than any of us are going to be involved in but I do think that one of the things that has come from this has been a kind of upsurgence of connection and community action that I think Would Encourage people to consider joining maybe in ways they wouldn't have before as a means of getting a hold of this Helplessness and anger because as you started before the break, you know, I there is a good chance. This may be cyclical. I'm not an epidemiologist I don't know what this is going to look like but I do Think that we should all be preparing for more of a marathon than a sprint and if we let the helplessness and the anger build It's not going to serve anybody So I think how we can get that into our communities, how we can feel like we have some agency is paramount. I would put that up there with exercise and sleep and stress management. Because
1: because people would like to, they would like to know, and I think there would be a sense of of satisfaction if they knew that other than washing your, your hands four or five or six times a day, What is it that I can do? Okay. I don't go to the restaurant or if I go to a drive through restaurant, I'm, I'm paying with, with, with credit. I mean, there there are, there are things you can do, but you know, in, in the, in the big picture, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like much, but I guess if everybody does their part, uh, it will add up to a lot.
14: That's the hope, right? That's the hope. And that we would find some places where we could be creative and innovative in the faces of challenges, we, as at least the generations that are alive now, have we haven't faced this before. Right. And so what might it look like, right? And can we get a boost from that that would in some way counter the, the helplessness and the anger? Right.
1: Let's go to David in San Francisco. He's listening on the Internet. Go ahead, David.
14: Well, oh, thanks, Bruce, and
0: uh, your guest. Um, thinking from the psychological, there were a couple of different angles. Uh, you know, with a normal epidemic, slow and steady wins the race. Slow and steady wins mm-hmm. the epidemic. Right. Keep wiping down the knob, doorknobs and, you know, banisters, and, you know, keep the place swept and clean, and you're pretty likely to not have any problems with it. But uh, the psychological idea that you go to bed at night and almost every bit of the news is is uh, expounding on this and people's fitful yeah. dreams, And, uh, you know, along your guest's line, uh, the psychological angle of this. If I remember right, the AMA uh, long ago figured out that I think something like 80, 85% of all disease is psychosomatic in origin. People do come down with diseases, but they basically worry themselves into one. So I'm wondering if she's got any advice about that. But then uh, regarding the uh,
1: earlier caller... Let's, uh, let, let's let her respond to that because that's, that's a good question. Christina?
14: Sure. I think that the, the mind-body connection and the negative effects of stress on health are clearly established, clearly established. And so I think, you know, for, for this, what it speaks to is all of the ways we have to prioritize taking care of ourselves in order to keep ourselves physically healthy, to have our immune systems as strong as they can be, and we can do things proactively to to do that, right? We can exercise, we can sleep, we can nurture our social connections, we can talk to trusted people about the range of what we're feeling, we can limit our news exposure, We can um, seek out the arts. I was thinking today about how grateful I am for humorists that I listen to. Mm -hmm. That these are all things that we can do to boost our mental health, to to counteract the stress. And very clearly that then gets related to our keeping ourselves physically healthy. How, How important is a pet? Oh, I think pets are wonderful. I think our pets are clearly the winners in this situation. For the people who are now working from home, the pets are with their people all the time. But I think, you know, the pets, pets give us, they counteract that loneliness you were talking about. They give us um, that sense of belonging, the joy that pets give, you know, but they also are tangible. We are spending so much time right now in the digital world in ways that are really beneficial, like I was talking about earlier, but it's equally beneficial to unplug and to do things with your hands, to pet your dog, to get outside and walk, to cook, to sew, to do whatever it is that you do with your hands. Those tangible things, I also think, have far-reaching benefits, yeah, and, and pets are, are number one, I think, for many of us.
1: And it's still okay to hug your your significant other?
14: As far as I know, I think that's fine. I'm not a medical doctor, but I think I as much as we can be with people. Doctor,
1: Doctor the Fauci, they haven't they haven't touched that yet. But you know, you, you see uh, <laughs> young lovers out there walking, holding their hand. Uh, you can only imagine what they're doing when they go home. But again, <laughs> if if they live together, maybe they're uh, immune to each other. Again, uh, Christina Biederman, thank you very much. She is with Adler University. Uh, she is an assistant uh, professor of clinical psychology. Back with
8: more in a moment. Hi, this is Dr. Phil. The new coronavirus called COVID-19 is spreading in China and beyond. While CDC is working to stop the spread of the virus, we can all play a role in stopping this deadly disease. The CDC Foundation is a nonprofit organization supporting emergency response efforts in the United States and around the world. To get updates and learn how to protect friends and loved ones, find out how to help by going to cdcfoundation.org.
1: Bruce Dumont back. We continue with uh, Beyond the Beltway, and uh, we are now joined by our guests, and we will see if uh, they show up here. They're not on my uh, screen at the moment, so I don't know whether we've got guests or not. Uh, are we? Do we have guests? Mr. Andrew, well, he's saying one minute, we will have guests. Anyway, 1-800-723-8029 is the phone number. Uh, wherever you're uh, listening to, uh, listening uh, this evening, we'd love to get your thoughts as to how things are playing in your particular neighborhood. Most of the uh, the news has been about what's happening in New York City. And uh, I want to get reaction from, uh, from from those around the country. I mean, is there is there too much uh, discussion that this is about New York City? It is the epicenter. Uh, it's the largest state. It's where most of the deaths are. It's where a lot of the, uh, the federal support is going to be going. And I understand that we have Mark Carbonero on the line. So let's go to Mark Carbonero. Uh, Andrew, can you hear us? Let's go to Mark Cabanero. Mark, nice to have you with us. Joining us from Salinas, California. You're on the air.
7: How are you? Bruce. And Actually, I'm in, in Monterey at my home. The radio station is in Salinas. Okay. Well, and, you I, know, as I, I look out the window here, I can see the braid grounds where you endured forced marching many years ago as private. At Fort Ord, California. Well, that's
1: good. <laughs> but Dumont at Fort Ord. Yeah. Mark, let me uh, let me ask you, you're you're the uh, program director for our affiliate out there. uh, And my question to you is, are you um, uh, how is this playing with your listeners to your station and the people you run into every day? Are they uh, are
7: are they up for this wartime footing we have? I think I think most people are Uh, from what I've run across from talking to listeners from social media interaction. People are taking this very seriously. Um, When I look around Monterey, uh, the streets are, for the most part, empty. There's a little bit of commercial activity going on during the day. Um, The stores are certainly not crowded. You know, there's a handful of people when you go into a hardware store or a grocery store. So I think most people have taken it to heart. And while we have not had a lot of of, um, infections in this area, I think Monterey County alone is up to about 32 right now, and one death. San Benito County, which is right over the hill from us, a very small county, they're below 10 as far as infections go. One death there, and then Santa Cruz County has somewhere in the mid-20 of infections, and they had their first death yesterday. So of course, it's not anything like uh, what you have going on in New York or some other areas of the country, but people are taking it pretty seriously out here. How, how long do you think the, the country can endure
1: this uh, this coronavirus uh, over our head, the, the, the guillotine over our head? Boy, the president I, you know, said, you know, through the end of April. I mean, when you are talking to your friends and neighbors out there, are they,
7: are they saying this thing is going to be months, not just weeks? I think most people are expecting it to be weeks. They don't think the worst case scenario that we're going to be cooked cooped up in our homes all the way through the summer. I think people are, you know, I've kind of heard the talk about that once the weather warms up, that maybe that could have something of an effect. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see Bruce. Yeah.
1: Okay. Let's go to uh, Nick Com joins us. Nick. Uh, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, you are basically here uh, in Chicago and also uh, in, in real life you run a company called reputation uh, partners and, and you, you improve the reputations of individuals and people, at this moment in time, uh, who do you think needs to have their reputation
16: improved the most? Hmm. <laughs> well, I think it's a running battle a bit, Bruce. Uh, it's a running battle in terms of uh, who it would be. Sometimes it's, unfortunately, President Trump. Other times, occasionally, it's various governors. Uh, The whole CDC response and everything else, I think it's a big part of it.
1: And in this particular case, do you think that uh, when when you think of how long it will last, I mean, how long can people take it?
16: Yeah, I think the big question is what is $2 trillion that's being injected into the economy in a matter of weeks going to do? How much does that offset all of the things that have gone on um, with uh, the, the shutdown? That's really a big question. And I think certainly a few more weeks would be it. Um, I think beyond that, you're really going to be putting a huge stress on the economies and people's well-being. You were talking about social isolation. You were talking about psychological effects. Um, I think it's pretty incredible that we haven't already seen a significant number of those already since most of us have been on lockdown for a few weeks already. Mm-hmm. And if it goes another four weeks, at least, as the president suggested, and who knows what the various governors will do. Will they decide to reopen their respective economies at the end of April, or will they keep them closed out of a, quote-unquote, abundance of caution? I think well, that's do, I a mean, real question.
1: In, in this particular case, I mean, you know, we have a federal government. A federal government is supposed to supersede state government in a lot of areas, certainly in the areas of public health. But, I mean, is this a situation where one size will not fit all? In fact, if you're living out in, uh, you know, Nevada or Montana or North or South Dakota, I mean, you're, you're, your state doesn't pop up very much on the on the discussion of the subject. But, I mean, is their solution different than, uh, than Governor Cuomo or, or Governor DeSantis in Florida?
16: Well, I don't think it can completely can be, though, Bruce, because we're a very mobile country when we have air travel and we have interstate commerce and people move from place to place. It's not like 100 years ago where people didn't go more than 15 or 20 miles from where they grew up and lived. We're a very mobile country and people are traveling. I think that should air should
1: air travel should air travel be stopped to and from New York State, in your opinion, New York City.
16: No, the same way they couldn't do the lockdown, the complete quarantine that uh, Trump had Well, they, what, they could
1: stop planes going to and from New York City.
16: They could. But what's going to stop somebody from hopping in a car and driving to Philadelphia and getting on a plane?
1: Well, then, uh, Mark, what's your answer to that question?
16: I don't I mean, think if most do of the, if
1: Most of these things are coming from. New York City. I mean, certainly uh, uh, the governor of Florida has said, uh, and the governor of uh, Rhode Island and also the governor of South Carolina has also said, that you know, we want to we want to track people that are coming from New York City and we want to quarantine them. Now, is that an extreme
7: position, Mark? I don't know that it's an extreme position, but it'd be extremely difficult to, to do. I mean, obviously, uh, from one standpoint, Bruce, it makes some sense. But at the same time, how do you how do you really accomplish that? And at what cost? And at a certain point, you know, we have to weigh, what does it cost us to do all this versus what's happened to our economy? And I'm sympathetic to what the president has been talking about, about trying to get the country moving again, because it takes tax dollars to fight this this virus, this infection. And you got to have business moving to generate tax dollars to fund the social services and and the medical care. So we're, we're in a very, very tough spot. And then I, I also heard uh, Dr. Bricks talk about this yesterday, uh, or actually this morning, Dr. Bricks was talking about the fact that, hey, you know, we need the airports to be open so that medical personnel can be flown around the country so we can surge people to where they're needed at the moment. And if we shut down all commercial air travel and say, well, the only way you can get from point A to point B is going to be via charter or some type of private aircraft, how are you going to afford to do that on a, on a regular basis? Do you think, and this question to you,
1: Bruno Barron joins us. Bruno, while you're there, can you hear us okay?
15: I can hear you okay. Can you hear me?
1: Uh, we can, and my question to you is, you are a libertarian on the program, and again, uh, I, I, am, I am joyful in, in seeing and reading your Facebook posts just about every day, and, and you have many of them, and they're very uh, to the point, point. Uh, and, and based on what you have written just in the last week, uh, what's the biggest concern you have about the action of federal or state government
15: in the last week? You know, first of all, I think it's fair to say that all of us are in uncharted waters right now. And instead of screaming at everybody and blaming everybody for what's going wrong, we should maybe take a step back and say that everything that's happening right now, it's its not that we sh- we were caught unprepared. The entire system was, politicians were but that this is a nasty little bug, and we don't really know what's gonna to happen to us and, and how it's gonna happen. So my, I'm, I'm a little bit upset that they're doing these massive shutdowns of entire states, as opposed to having the shutdowns be local. Um, I, think, uh, I think the president was right in shutting down travel with China. Maybe he could have done it a couple weeks earlier. I think the president was a little bit lackadaisical about uh, how serious uh, this could get and how fast it could get serious. But other than that I think we're we're all kind of groping our way through this and the thing that worries me the most is uh, you know the the death rates of people who actually contract you know the and and go through the case studies of the disease uh, you know it could be uh, could be end up being very very high and lots of people could die so I think we should all take a step back from criticism and just do what we can to help our fellow citizens. Is that realistic uh, Nick in in this political
1: world that we live in is it is it realistic to pull back and say uh, to the media, don't be so uh, aggressive in asking for timetables? Because uh, whether you're asking a Democratic governor or you're asking uh, a Republican president, uh, some of these things can't be done overnight. And uh, some of these things really have nobody's fault. They're nobody to blame.
16: Well, or there's blame to go around, as you were talking about yeah. earlier. You know, that's the thing. I, look, I think it's, it is a bit unrealistic to hope that we could step away from that. Frankly, one of my big disappointments in this is in the media and how they have taken the opportunity to question leaders and have asked some really pretty inane questions, by and large. I think there've been some good pointed questions that have been asked. I think that's probably the area where things could improve the most. Certainly, Donald Trump is trying to avoid any disproportionate share of the blame. But there is, look, if there's going to be blame, you can blame the Bush administration, the Obama administration, certainly Trump, as Bruno was just talking about, and then various governors and even cities. I mean, you had Mayor de Blasio encouraging people to go out and socialize and everything else as recently as about two weeks ago. So there is, there's plenty of opportunity to blame plenty of folks it would be great for us to come together as a country but it's an election year people are trying to get advantage people are trying to avoid with tens of thousands and potentially more than that dying of this terrible virus they're trying to avoid having a disproportionate share of the blame landing in their laps
1: okay we've got a break 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border i'm bruce dumont thanks for joining us tonight on beyond the beltway
12: Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit moveforwardpt.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association.
1: Bruce Dumont back in Evanston, Illinois. And again, we're talking with uh, uh, Nick Kamm, and we're talking uh, with Mark Carbonaro, who's out in uh, Salinas, California, and also to uh, Bruno Baron, who is our card-carrying libertarian this evening. And uh, Mark, uh, going back to you, uh, when when you look at... uh, I guess one of the things that's, that's sort of pleasant out of this conversation is uh, there's been a lot of finger-pointing in the past, but the governor of California and the president seem to be getting along, yes. uh, the governor of New York and the president seem to be getting along. Uh, there are some exceptions, but uh, does that surprise you, and uh, how is that playing in the highly
7: partisan state of uh, California? You know, it it doesn't surprise me because I always expect that when we have situations that really could pose an existential threat to society, you know, to the the very republic, something like this got out of hand, the fact that these people are acting like grown-ups doesn't surprise me at all. And it's very encouraging. And I've even seen some people tone it down a little bit. However, on social, like when you talk to someone in person, and say they're on the opposite end of the political yeah. aisle from you, and you start talking about this, they are more reasonable than say people happen to be on Facebook and chat right. situations, and so or forth, on talk where, radio. <laughs> yeah, or on talk radio for that matter, yeah. where uh, you know people have just dug in their heels and and nothing that the guy on the other side can ever make any sense or be be right at all. And it it really is a time for people just to, to take a step back and say, hey, you know, this is. This is bigger than some of the petty arguments that we might have about uh, certain policies. We really need to come together on this.
16: Hey, Bruce, could I speak to yes, this for Yes,
7: you can. A Go second? ahead.
16: Yeah, I was just gonna say, and then I think I've talked about this as well on Facebook, to Mark's point. You know, when I see governors publicly calling out the Trump administration during this, you know, again, I think it's unfortunate that the president is as reactive as he is on these issues. But it just seems so reckless to me, whether it's our own governor Pritzker here or the governor of Michigan or whatnot, I totally get that they are concerned about having enough respirators and enough ventilators. But if you're going to deal with somebody who tends to counterpunch and you're in the midst of a pandemic, how does airing those grievances publicly protect the lives of your constituents? I have yet to hear anybody explain to me how that can be a good thing. it, it Yes, it, it absolutely actually, it, it's, make it's, a big deal about it privately to, Governor, to Vice President Pence, uh, to other people to FEMA, to the Army Corps of Engineers, privately to Donald Trump, but to stand up at press conferences, as we've seen some governors, notably not Governor Newsom, notably generally not governor cuomo but when you have these other folks do it and i'm taking it personally because i sit here as you do bruce here in illinois and bruno as well and i hear our governor sitting there publicly repeatedly calling out the president how does that protect people who live or in the the,
1: state? Or, or generally speaking it's the federal government it has he's done it by name in the past as well but but you're right it seems to me that it's politics 101 you you don't insult the person you need a favor from. Yes, in in, in any walk of life, in any walk right. of life. But anyway, uh, now I, let me let me ask you this, uh, Bruno. I, I mentioned this earlier uh, on the subject. Uh, uh, obviously, the president was very complimentary of Abbott Laboratories because they've come out with a five-minute uh, coronavirus test now which they're going to get out to market. I don't know how many they're going to be making, but they're getting it out to market. And uh, Governor uh, Pritzker said today that uh, he had talked with them and uh, that Illinois is at the top of the list. They're going to get the first (laughs) tests. So, I mean, my question is, because he knows the guy and it's from Illinois, is that in the best spirit of, I mean, maybe Illinois doesn't need the tests as much as, let's say, Louisiana might need right now. I mean, I I want them to come to Illinois, but, you know, just to to brag that, oh, they're going to come to Illinois first because, you know, they're made in Illinois. I mean, does he want other states to say the same thing?
15: No, I I just I think that's incredibly bad form. Um, You know, if you take away all of the bad form that people have been playing and the president has his own issues there as well. Uh, I think what's really interesting is that the rest of America is stepping up. All the American people are doing everything they can. And I think Abbott and um, there was a here in Champaign, they've uh, down in Champaign. They've developed a a really fast respirator that uh, they're trying to get put into production. And that was done in the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana lab. I read the article today in the News Gazette. Um, There's all kinds of really fantastic stuff happening. And you're, you're watching a, you're watching a, an in-time, you know, real-time mobilization of resources, and I just think all of that, whether it's complaining about some governor on the part of Trump or whether it's some governor complaining about Trump, I, I just wish they'd all shut up um, mm-hmm. because, you know, it's, number one, it's not gaining them anything. I mean, they're not apparently, for whatever reason, they're not costing Trump any uh, support. Um, you know, Trump's Teflon makes Reagan's Teflon look like Velcro. <laughs> um, you know, so I don't, I don't really know what what they're playing at by trying to do that. And then the other thing too is that just because it's an Illinois company, I think as far as Abbott and all the other resources that are coming online, you send those immediately to the places that are suffering the most, which would be New yeah. York, and yeah, probably Chicago, which might be following New York really soon.
1: Right. But I, I think that Illinois is in Chicago is likely to be, uh, you know, a, a next uh, at least Midwest epicenter. So my question to you though is. At this particular point, Mark. Last question to you is: in the, in the wake of this, are we going to have a greatly improved public health system that will very quickly know that will quickly know uh, where the respirators are, where where the uh, you know where all these stockpiles are that can be distributed efficiently? Is that what is Oops, that going to come out of this? I need a ten second answer.
7: I would su- sure hope so, and I think I think it will. I think there'll be a lot of public pressure in that direction.
1: Mark Carbonaro has been with us. He is the uh, program director of the ever-popular Power Talk 1460 and 101 FM. That's in Salinas, California. That is part of the Beyond the Beltway Radio Network. Bruno Baron has been our card-carrying libertarian. Nick Com from Reputation partners has joined us. Our thanks to Andrew Marshall for his assistance in the production of this program. I'm Bruce Dumont. Until next week, good night from Evanston, Illinois.